Hello, friends. Jim Nance. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> got a chance. Yes. He's done it! Wow! In your life! I don't know how you get much better than this. Heartbeat just went up 50 notches there, I think. Struck it nicely. Green Jacket is going north of the border. Celebration now. They've saved it for the perfect stage. Wow, that was loud. Still is. Welcome inside episode 8 of the Pelt Pod. The Canadian golf season is in full swing and the official start of summer quickly approaching. This week we speak with one of the great minds in the industry. He'll share his story and give us an inside glimpse into the world of custom golf fitting and its impact on the game today. It's episode 8 and it starts right now. We are back, Pelpod episode eight, week two of the golf season here in Ontario. Ben Whiteside, Jacob Bishop, Jamie Wilson. Things are good. There's golf being played. There's action on the PGA Tour. We're into major season. We got another really cool guest on today. Jacob, how are you, my man? Doing good. Yeah, we're doing good. Didn't play too much golf this past week, but played one round. Wasn't very good, but you know what? It's just still nice to be out there walking down the fairways and rolling a few putts. Still sucks a little bit not being able to pull flags, but that's the protocols here in Ontario. But uh, but how about you, gentlemen? Where'd you play this week? How'd you play? Uh, yeah, I didn't play too much either. I just got out uh, once, I believe. Went to the range a couple times, kind of trying to iron things out. So yeah, it was good to be out there. Yourself, Ben? I want to say, well, I played uh, this, weekend, this past weekend both times again. I'm going to play tomorrow afternoon and then obviously the the big match my return to competitive golf on saturday me and my buddy have a match (laughs) against two guys from oil springs ontario great guys by the way it is match one and if you win all eight of your matches you go play for the world championships in dubai so my road to Dubai starts Saturday and golf's underway. I can't, there's no complaints. I'm not even complaining about the flags being in. That's how, that's, that's the laissez-faire approach I'm taking at the minute. Yeah, I don't know how much uh, I'm going to get out this week after that, that Leafs loss last name, but uh, oh, I'll try and get out. Was, I, was, I was really hoping we didn't have to bring that up, but now that we're talking about it, oh boys, just absolutely <laughs> gutted. Like, I feel like today is going to be my Jordan flu game just because it's a leaf flu. Like, I'm just sick. I mean... <laughs> I mean, we could go down this rabbit hole for... for You've got the, a mental hangover. The, the entire episode, we could just talk about Leafs and the devastation that it is to be a Leafs fan, but... Uh... Yeah, it's tough. We're not a hockey podcast, and we're not a politics podcast. <laughs> 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 uh, exactly. Take a walk, come back, let's get into it. Yeah, abs- absolutely. But you know what? Um, yeah, we'll probably play a little bit more golf this week. Looking forward to getting out there. And uh, looking forward to getting this putting green done this week for the weekend. So it's almost done, gentlemen. That'll be awesome. Love it. On the PGA Tour this past weekend, the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial Country Club, an iconic stop on the PGA Tour. And Jason Kokrak steals the show. He was lights out. He was 65, 65, 66, 70. Jamie Wilson, uh, you were keeping up throughout the weekend Spieth was right there in the mix. When, what ended up happening? It kind of felt like when we got to Sunday, it was pretty much a two-horse race. A little bit of match play kind of mentality going on there. The home crowd was definitely um, on Jordan's side. 
And honestly, Colonial Country Club, like I've I've never played it or been there, obviously, but it just looks like such a fun golf course to play. And Kokrak, I mean, obviously for him to hold off speed with, with those crowds that I mentioned, uh, definitely impressive. And another little side note, he becomes the third two-time winner uh, this season, joining Bryson DeChambeau and Stuart Sink. So probably not the three guys you would have expected, but pretty cool stat right there. Bishop, did you uh, have any takeaways? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a chance uh, to watch too much, but absolutely, I, th- I think Colonial is one of those stops. It just looks like such an awesome, awesome golf golf course, right? And, and ball striking golf course. I was just disappointed I didn't take Jordan again for my insider picks. The third time was a charm, <laughs> um, but but you know. Just speaking about uh, Jason Kokrak's game, and I, I saw the stat somewhere earlier, I think on Sunday night, about how many starts it took to win, because this is his only second PGA Tour victory twice this season. Um, just so interesting. The guy can be out there for years, and again, we, talk, we talked about it a few times now, just how difficult it is to win on the PGA Tour. And, I mean, Joel, Joel Damon said that after his win. But once you win... You get that extra little bit of confidence where you can do it again because you, you got to learn how to win and, and get it under your belt once, and, and now he's done it twice in uh, I think that's what 17 weeks or something like that. So it's it's pretty uh, pretty nice to see uh, Jason get his, his second win. Uh, Jacob, just adding to that point about Spieth too, he's right back in the center of the golf world. There's kind of this buzz that surrounds him again that's kind of been uh, missing from the Spieth brand maybe for the last year plus. How good is it just to have him back, especially this summer? feels like we needed something like that for golf. For sure. I think Spieth is just such a kind of a – well, I shouldn't say he's super likable because there's some people that don't like that he whines and, and he talks to his golf ball. I'm somebody who talks to my golf ball and I hate it. I just can't stop doing it. But but all about Jordan, and it's just so sweet and refreshing to, to have him at the top of the, of the leaderboard week to week. And, and some people are talking about that he can't close it out on Sunday. But again... I'm going to say it again and repeat myself. It's so difficult to win out there. You've got guys chasing you down the, down the leaderboard uh, all, all week, um, all Sunday. So it's just, you know, it's so nice to see him at the top of the leaderboard and playing well because I think he just adds that element to the game that sell, sells tickets. He makes you want to watch, watch golf on Sunday afternoon. You know, he's such a good mm-hmm. putter. He's such a good advocate for the game. And it's just so great for the game to, to see him uh, him playing well. Jamie, what are your th- kind of thoughts on that? Even uh, taking your, your point um, a little bit further, I actually saw a stat. Beath is now 10 for 20 in his PGA Tour career, converting 54 hole leads. So he's, he's 50%. The Tour average over the last 10 years when leading or co-leading is 35%. So it's not like he's not getting the job done. He's still way above the average. And then the uh, actually crazy, insane stat Tiger. about it. Tiger? Tiger. Tiger, 55 for 59. <laughs> it's just like, wild. That is insane. <laughs> yeah. the, I, I saw that stat, and I was like, are you kidding? Does that include majors? Yeah, everything. It just goes to so show you how... there are four men that have beat him, that have come from behind and taken it from him on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Crazy, right? Y.E. Yang was my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can, you, can you lift your uh, golf bag over your head, your tour bag? 
like the Stanley Cup. I can certainly try. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that, uh, that, that was something. But yeah, you know what? That's just that's a crazy step. I appreciate you throwing in that stat there because I I, I hate hearing that. That I mean, it's, it's easy to say because Jordan's been up at the top of the leaderboard week in and week out here all season long. So people are like, oh, he's not closing out tournaments. But if you're there a lot, you can't close close him out every single time, right? And he's mm-hmm. playing some great golf, and that's why it's so hard not to pick him on the insider picks. I wanted to do it last <laughs> week, and I kicking myself because I didn't. But it's just it's nice to see when you have one of the greatest you know greatest players of the of the decade. I'm gonna just say uh, playing well again because he went through such a tough. Uh, a tough stretch there. So you see the dominance. Everybody likes to see a player who, who's dominant out there for, uh, and can, can be in contention. We've seen, you know, DJ and yeah. Kepka and McElroy. It just, it just adds to the excitement watching golf on Sunday because when every player is playing to their best of the ability, it just makes exciting golf to watch. So Jason Kokrak gets it done 14 under at Colonial Country Club. He takes a Charles Schwab challenge. Jamie, you were keeping an eye on Canadians as well. How'd they do? Yeah, we had a couple a uh, couple good uh, finishes from Canadians this week at uh, Colonial. We had Nick Taylor, plus three, T62. We had Corey Connors, once again, seems to be up there every single week. Uh, minus four in a tie for 20th. And our low Canadian, uh, Adam Hadwin, minus six. Sneaking in the top 10 with a T8. You got to love it. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, followed the Corn Ferry Tour too much this week, but we had four Canadians actually also in the top 25 there. We had Adam Svensson, T2, uh, minus 13 under. Taylor Pendrith, T8, minus 8. So those are two names that Canadians are starting to become a little bit more familiar with. And then we also had uh, Stuart McDonald, minus 7, T10. And Ben Silverman, minus 4. T24. So these are the guys that are going to be coming up uh, to the PGA Tour, and uh, it's an exciting time for Canadian golf. And Canadian golf is hot right now on the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour, and it's hot here in Ontario. And now it's a great time to be looking into our equipment for the 2021 season. And today, our guest, Mike from TXG, is going to be here to talk to us about the importance of getting fit finding the right clubs for your game, and just speaking a little bit about TXG and what's coming up next for them. This week's guest on the Pell Pod, he is the director of club building and fitting at Tour Experience Golf, ranked second best club fitter in North America by Golf.com. He's an Oakville, Ontario native, a bright mind, and a wedge specialist. He's Mike Marty Savich. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. Mike, this this is exciting for us, and this is going to be a cool week because it, it times perfectly with uh, everyone, especially here in Ontario, getting back out for the start of golf season. So everyone's kind of got technology and clubs on their mind. Everyone's tinkering through their bag, and there's no better mind to have on uh, the Pelpod this week than you. So let's start with Tour Experience Golf. Um, you were a part of their team, two locations in Toronto, but really you guys are a company that's on the forefront of custom golf fitting and not just here in Ontario, not just here in Canada. You guys are obviously recognized in North America as one of the go-to guys. So let's just kick off with TXG. Tell us a little bit about the team there and your guys' mission and really just the overall experience that someone off the street that maybe never has heard of TXG walking in what they can expect from you guys. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as we all know, you know, custom club fitting and, and, you know, custom building equipment has become super popular 
probably over the last 10 years. I know I've, I've been in it coming up to 10 years and um, from how, you know, where I started to what we are now, it's, it's crazy different. Um, I think more people understand, understand it, you know, guys that I walk the fairways with understand it as well, which is the typical guy that probably wouldn't really care maybe 10 years ago. Um, yeah. TXG, it's, it's all about, it's all about performance. You know, we're looking to get the best 14 clubs in your golf bag that we can. And, um, you know, we're an open book. We're as honest as we can. If you come in with a, a previous gen driver or three wood that you're trying to replace and, and we tell you, you know, look at the numbers, you know, we, you know, all our staff is, is trained, you know, through Ian, through myself, through a lot of, you know, online training, you know, if you can't beat it, be honest and tell, tell the customer because one, we're building trust and two, you know, if you, if you don't buy a new driver, we're not going to, we're not going to cry over it. We want to have you back as a repeat customer and, and, uh, you know, and just make sure you've got the, the perfect equipment in the bag. So performance is huge for us. Um, and, you know, it's my job to, to kind of really hit home the, the custom build aspect. Why, why OEM, why custom build over OEM and OEMs do a good job, but we just have a, an ability to be a little bit more hands-on and, um, really dial in those specs for every customer. When you, when you get a customer that comes in the door, um, what's kind of the, what are your first steps when you're interacting with that customer? Are you kind of asking them what ball flight they envision in a, in an ideal scenario? Like what are your first questions to a customer? Yeah. So all our fits, uh, before they even see one of our fitters or myself or Ian, they go through a pre-fit questionnaire. Um, and that kind of gives us a little bit of, you know, background on the golfer that, that we're working with and, and the fitter can, can take a glance at it before they start, you know, it gives us, you know, to the customers of injuries. We, we can kind of understand our customer a little bit better. You don't have to break the ice, um, you know, for the first 15 minutes of the fit, you know, with COVID protocol, you know, you want to get the fit, you know, done and dusted pretty quickly, but you want to get the most out of it. Um, so that kind of helps reduce that breaking period. But ultimately, I mean, you know, you tell me, you come in for a fit and, you know, you're struggling with your irons you know, tell me your, tell me your top three goals with, you know, with, with a new set of irons or with a dialed set of irons. And, and that's my job to do that for you. Um, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change ball flight. If, you know, if you hit a draw, I'm going to work with a draw, you hit a fade or a cut or a slice, I'll work with it. Now, you know, I don't get me wrong. I get, you know, the 14 plus handicaps, the 12 plus handicaps that come in with the slice and they leave with the draw. And, um, that's just from changing equipment. And, you know, we do have all our fitters to, to understand the swing, you know, enough where we can, you know, really help a customer. You know, sometimes in the past, when I first started doing this, if a customer wasn't hitting it straight, like I was, I was screwed. Um, you know, yeah. I didn't know how to fix a grip or, you know, change someone's stance. And then over time, you know, get to hang out with, with guys like Andrew Lovell and Doug Laurie and, um, you know, so many good coaches out there and, and kind of, you know, get to know a lot of these guys in the industry. You pick their brains and, you know, obviously I'm a, call myself a student of the game as well. You know, Ian's obviously full of swing knowledge. So all our staff are kind of trained to, to know little, you know, tidbits to continue the fit rather than just say, Hey, go take a lesson. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's little, little swing changes that we can do to, to help change certain things. But you tell me your goals with whatever you want to get fit for. And, and it's my job to get that club to the ball as perfect as I possibly can and, and kind of create an autopilot for you. Not so much a question, but yeah, it's definitely a fine line between 
giving someone a little pointer and then trying to do too much. So it's definitely important. And that's really cool that, that you're able to do that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I wanted to comment on that too. Cause, cause Jamie, Jamie spent some time working for Callaway as a club fitter. And I worked for five years doing it with, uh, with Titleist. So just the, as the mobile shop on the ranges and, and that's, you know, it's almost like a, a, a lesson is like, sorry, a, a, a club fitting. If you have an hour session, it's almost like a, a storyline, right? And if, you want to keep it as positive as possible for the customer going through it the whole time. And sometimes the customer gets a little, you know, a little nervous. Sometimes they start hitting some bad shots. So I, I always found that super important. If you could, if they were struggling with something, if you give them one or two little pointers just to keep them going and keep them hitting some good shots and keep the confidence going, it just continues to, to be a better, I think a better fit. Cause they just, you know, they'll, they'll start hitting the golf ball a little bit better, uh, get that confidence and they continue just moving in the right direction. And that's the thing too. Like we, get, I get a lot of questions on Insta, and obviously I have you know access to the the business Insta, and, and you know we we get a ton of questions. Hey, I'm going for my first fit to Club Champion, or going to my first you know fit at TrueSpec. I'm nervous, yeah. and I get it. Everyone, you know, not everyone hits at 300 yards. I'm putting my hand up right now. I do not, I do not carry the driver <laughs> 300 yards. I'd like to. I have uh, some future help. One of your guests is going to be helping me soon. Um, Kelsey. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's his mission uh, mission to get me to three bills, which is nice. Um, well, I, I did tune into but, the Instagram, and, and I, I see that the boys are rallying around your golf swing right now. And uh, I know, it, it, I know. It, it's looking good. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, the nervous the nervous of a, of a fit, like, I get it totally. You know, I was, the, honestly, the first quick story, the first time I met Ian was at a club fitting silly in Toronto, and midway through the fit, he's like, you need to go take a lesson. And I'm like, right, because I was shocking with the driver. It was, it was for a driver fit. I was trying to get a 915 driver because I used to be a huge Titleist fan. Yep. And he gave me a business card. He goes, go see my friend Laird White at the National Golf Club Canada. One, never heard of the National. Two, was sweating because I was so nervous. Um, and three, kind of just felt devastated because I wasn't to, you know, able to you know, move on to my fit and buy a driver. And I was equipment junkie back then. Um, and then sure enough, four years later down the road, I'm working side by side, Laird White at the national, my first job in the, in the biz, but you know, the nervousness, it happens if you know, and I always say to people like, Hey, you're going to hit some bad shots today. You're going to hit bad shots on the golf course. I want to see if I can make your bad shots better than your previous bad shots. Mm -hmm. But I can't, I can't get rid of the miss hit. If, if that was the case, I'd be turning water into wine and, and I can't do that. So <laughs> it's going to happen. Time to chill out, you know? Take a, take a break after, you know, 20 shots or so. Just kind of gather yourself. And, and if we have to do a little swing, you know, fix or, or just um, find even just a couple minutes just to chat to the customer and go, go back to your, like, original fields or, you know, just take a few minutes and then we come back and they're kind of, they're back to hitting it pretty good. So everyone gets nervous. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. They know, I think they think the guy standing behind him is, you know, a pro golfer, which is, is not the case. All the guys on staff are, are pretty good players. Um, but we all hit miss hits. I mean, it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. For, for sure. And I think, I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole goal of this game is make your miss hit smaller. You're going to become a better player. Right. And, Definitely. um, and just kind of going on with, um, what you said at the beginning, um, here is just the fitting experience over the last 10 years. It, it's, it's changed so dramatically. It's just so dialed in and so fine-tuned. So, like, how even in the last three, four years um, with the, um, the 
how has the fitting experience become more technical over the last few years with some of the added technology um, and, the, and some of the factors to con consider? So like, what type of technology in the last couple of years have you got access to that just makes a fit so much easier or so much more dialed in? I think, uh, you know, when we, when we made the change uh, from TrackMan track to Foresight indoors, um, obviously we are an indoor facility, um, you know, having the ability to be camera-based and seeing strike point and, and sh almost showing that visual to customers to better explain it, that's made it probably a bit easier, but made it almost a bit quicker to really get to the point, if, if you know what I mean. So, you know, having that, having that access to foresight, I think is, is the biggest one. And you look week to week on PGA tour, you know, quad squads out there, it's, you know, foresight, 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 which is, which yeah. is awesome to see. So, um, I would say foresight is probably the best tech that I've, you know, I've ever worked with. Um, you know, and I, and I love TrackMan. I, I think TrackMan outdoors is fantastic. You know, I, I've used TrackMan obviously, you know, you know, that's what I kind of started with, uh, when I, at my old previous home club, I was kind of the first guy to take out the TrackMan that the club had to play around with it. So, Mm -hmm. um, foresight's really, really helped, you know, I think better, give a better understanding to, to customers and, and now a ton of people own them too. I mean, it's been, a you know, in Ontario or across Canada or, you know, across the world right now, I could probably name off 15, 20 names of customers. I know that own a GC quad or a GC two or a Hawk and they're starting to, you know, they're starting to send me numbers going, Hey, you know, face the path this you know, dynamic loft, this spin right, this, what do you, what do you think? And, you know, they're, the customer's so much smarter because of it. So I would say, uh, you know, I'd give my tip a hat to, to foresight for the best tech that we use. Again, the, the fitting experience is changing because if you're having customers and long-term customers that, you know, if they do have a GC quad and they're hitting balls on the range and they have these numbers, they're going to start coming in like later down the road and you're going to see it more that they're going to be coming into your, the fitting and, it's not going to be, you know, what ball flight are you hitting? It's what's your spin numbers. And they're going to have those already for you. Right. And that's, that's half the battle Definitely. is getting those preliminary numbers, which if you have those to begin with, it's, it's just going to make it that much easier to fit and spend that time of, of finding a product that's going to, or a shaft that's going to produce a better number for you. Neat, neat to see there. So with, with everything getting a little bit more technical though, obviously there's some players, whether they're higher handicappers or they've never been fit before, you know, what's something that you could maybe say to them um, for those players that maybe are scared to go get fit because they think it is too technical? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's almost being just honest with yourself and, and telling the fitter straight up going, hey, I'm just looking to hit the ball straight. You know, I'm a, I'm a weekend player. I just want to become, you know, a better player. I'm working on my game. You know, we've seen a lot of those guys over the last, guys and girls over the last, you know, year because of COVID, I mean, I'm sure you guys have a ton of buddies that have taken up the game. You know, I've got a ton of buddies that have taken up the game and they're not, they're not numbers hungry. They're not, you know, science hungry behind the whole fitting side of it. Um, they just want clubs that work. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, you know, there's, you can tell in a fit, like, okay, where do we need to dive deep into the information? Where do we just need to make the customer comfortable? achieve a certain goal and, and get them to get a set of clubs that they'll be happy with versus, you know, sometimes the the guy knows what almost what he wants. Not, I wouldn't say knows what he wants, but knows the numbers he's looking for. And, um, that's when we go, you know, pretty sciencey and the, and the banter is a little bit different than if, mm -hmm. you know, let's say my mother was to come in for a fitting. 
Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, just speaking there about having a, uh, a set of cl- clubs that you're happy with, um, we got a member here on the pod who might not be so happy with his golf clubs, and, and uh, we were kind of talking about this before before the uh, before you came on air. Um, you've got a, a university uh, player here that wasn't you know as much into the, the the clubs and the technology as what maybe Jamie and I was, but Ben here. Well, I play from the heart, Mike. Yeah, he, so he, so he's playing a set of AP twos right now, and this just goes to show that you know T one hundreds. Yeah, T one hundreds. He swings his driver probably at about I don't probably around one twelve, and he's got regular okay. shafts in his irons. Yep. Now we need to change those. <laughs> so that just goes to show you, it's like some people, they, I mean, they they pick a club off the uh, off the rack, and uh, and this was a, it was picked off a rack, but. Um, not a lot of thought that went into the shaft and i still remember when we were playing at the hunt he was hooking the irons and, and i look at the shaft i'm like ben you're playing a regular shaft right and and that just <laughs> right now he's obviously has a little bit more of a draw and he says oh you know we've got to change my swing up a little bit but that's exactly what the fitting's there for it's you don't need to change your swing let's get some clubs that are fit for you so you can just swing your own swing absolutely mike i just even wanted to go back um your story is a, a pretty neat one just because of kind of the the places and the people that golf has brought you to and is going to continue to. But going back, you, you came out of the golf management program at Humber. I've, act, I've heard so many people in the golf world speak to that program, just talking about the quality of it. But going back to your introduction of the game, um, how did it start and kind of the road to Humber? And obviously we kind of know a little bit past Humber of where you're at now, but going back to the start, where did it all begin? Uh, I grew up as a, as a club links. I mean, my first golf lesson was with, um, with Sean Foley, um, out at club, at Glen Abbey. And I was a club linkster and did the whole camps growing up. My dad played, my mom played, my dad, you know, traveled a ton to play different golf courses. I've got, uncles and aunts that you know play i've got an uncle who's a golf digest raider and a, a very good wow. senior player so I, I always grew up around golf um you know it was always on tv you know trips always you know revolved around golf you know we never went on a vacation that didn't have a golf course and my dad just wasn't going um so you know we were you know i grew up with that and then obviously i was a junior member of rattlesnake for I don't know, 15 years. And I did the junior camp. I did everything from junior camps to, you know, eventually being old enough to just kind of be left at the golf course. My dad would drop me off at 9am and pick me up at 8pm and I would play the Rattler, play the course, you know, steal golf carts and drive around and, you know, you know, try to just play as much golf as I could. And then I became for a couple of years there, I helped, you know, the summer program, the summer camps and stuff as, you know, quote unquote, an instructor or counselor, whatever you want to call it. Um, my dad's work schedule, my dad's in real estate and pretty flexible. So, you know, he'd, he'd take me out of school for a doctor's appointment, but we'd actually go up to play some type of golf course somewhere. Um, so, you know, golf was, golf was always top of mind. You know, I played lacrosse. Um, I played, you know, drums and guitar. So none of my buddies really played golf growing up. So to be able to play golf with my dad was, you know, it was pretty special and, you know, get the golf with my mom and my uncles and stuff, you know, um, you know, I'll never take that for granted. So, um, yeah, I mean, I grew up at Rattlesnake and then, uh, you know, how did I get to Humber? I mean, I could have gone into real estate. That's the, basically the family business. 
Uh, both mm-hmm. my parents were, were in it. And then, uh, believe it or not, my, we were down in Florida for a conference uh, that my mom was at, and it was during the week of, uh, what's that tournament? Children's Miracle Network Classic. It's no longer an event that they used to play it at the Disney courses. Um, and I had no interest to going to Disney. I've been to Disney a few times. And uh, I said to my mom, you know, let's see if the, you know, let's see if the company will pay for us to stay at Bay Hill. Um, sure enough, you know, that was, that was covered. So we stayed at Bay Hill for five days, played golf. Um, that was my first time at Bay Hill. I think it was 2010 or 11. And that week I got to go on the tour truck for Titleist and I met a guy by the name of Aaron Dill. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave me gave me a tour, and I was just like, "Cha-ching! This is <laughs> the light this is the on. gig. This is yeah. the gig I want, and I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna do this for a living. However, however much money it costs me, or however who wow. I need to kiss ass to, or whatever, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> get into this side of the industry. And yeah, literally cool. for the rest of the the rest of the week, we went to PJ Superstore every day after golf for maybe two hours and all I did was hit every golf club on the rack read up on everything like it really it really turned the crank for equipment um came back and I was like how do I do this um obviously be, meeting Aaron Dill kind of where you know I found the the love of wedges well um, I was just gonna say and, that wedge specialists yeah. and that's obviously what yeah Aaron does. um yeah, I mean that's where that's where it came from, and I was like, you know, I'm gunning for your job. Um, and I was back then, back then I was a huge Titleist guy, like a 15 year old Steve Stricker walking around. Um, you know, football icons, the Oakley glasses. I was a wannabe that had no game whatsoever. Um, nice but beige khakis. Oh yeah, khakis. I'm, I'm sure there's an embarrassing photo somewhere on on IG that I need to delete, but. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where the love came and came back. And I said to my dad, there's got to be, you know, people that teach this. I know it's not golf town. It's not the route that I want to go. And I contacted guys in Burlington and St. Catharines. I contacted the guy in, uh, in Sault Ste. Marie um, to teach me how to build clubs. And four, four of the guys said, nope, sorry. Either don't go in the golf industry, you won't make money, um, or no, I don't want to teach you like you're a burden to me. So I was like, all right, screw it, whatever. I'll, you know, I'll tinker at home. I'll rip putters apart. And I had a Scotty addiction and, you know, had to go to rehab for that one. And, uh, are you recovering you know, or are you still dealing with it? No, no, I'm fully recovered. At one point we were 30, 30 plus, uh, putters and, uh, wow. we had to, uh, we had to go to rehab for that one. That was, that yeah, was a problem. Exactly. What's Glad the collection at now? Is it still at 30? The col- Honestly, uh, no, the collection's probably... You don't have to say, by the way, if you're uncomfortable. No, no, we're, we're three, we're three <laughs> Scotties. Three Scotties left, but they're all three Terillium, original Terillium inserts. One still has plastic on it. Wow. One's a Santa Fe, and one both are Newports. And then I've got my Artisan Mallet putter that I got down in the oven. And right now, I am rocking spec-to-spec spec, a Nike 001 Method to uh tiger's putter so oh, it nice. is uh that has been a great year to say the least yeah yeah it's uh it's one of those it's, honestly i've been jonesing to buy a new putter a blade putter and i just don't know i keep rolling this method and putts are dropping so i'm like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna change anything but uh if it ain't broke, don't fix it 
Exactly. And I mean, I had tour putters and I had, you know, a couple of protos and I had every Scotty that came out, you know, and I had the Cameron club, but I was addicted. And yeah. I know, you, you know, we're all, we're all golfers are a little crazy. So I got a tour um, rat right now, Mike. Jealous. Yeah, I don't even want actually, I don't even want to know that because you know what that's going to be? I'm going to be up till 2 a.m. tonight looking at tourscotties.com going, <laughs> Man, that's nice to look at. Yeah, exactly. Uh, kind of back to your original point of this whole question, I think a lot of us can kind of relate to to getting dropped off at the golf course first thing, and then getting picked up um, by your parents later at night. But one other question about fitting: Do you find a little bit of the the aspect of it is is trial and error, or do you find that you're you're experienced enough in this field where you kind of know what's going to work? what combinations are going to work well together. Yeah. I mean, it's our job to, it's my job to get all the information to give to all our fitters. And it's obviously my job to know as much of the information on every shaft, every club head, you know, what weights will do to the front back side of club heads, um, grip weight, all that. And it seems like a lot, but when you do it every day, it just becomes second nature. And there's times where, Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm only fitting, you know, current, you know, customers that I have worked with in the past, you know, close, you know, close friends, close guys from the club, um, you know, when we are fitting. So I kind of have a bit of an upside because when they tell me they want to come in, I've already got things playing through my head where, okay, I remember that, you know, Bob plays this. Um, here are three options that I want. And those are kind of the first three I grab. And, and I can kind of get guilty for it because, in a fit like normal normal times, you come in for a driver fit, and we kind of watch you hit a couple of your drives while you're warming up, and you know we're going through the drawer and grabbing heads and grabbing some weights and some shafts. Well, always grab like normal times. Always grab like four or five options, um, and in my mind, I kind of know there's two really good options in there, but I still want to give you a full experience of trying everything. Um, and sometimes we get stumped and go, okay, it's you know this guy's not going to fit into. ABC driver and then sure enough he hits it and he's he's in a groove with it right and and that's kind of half the the battle because we can't tap into the human brain we don't understand maybe he likes to look at his head better maybe it's his head address better you know multiple different things that we can't control but I would say 90% of the time that we're fitting is, is going to be you know we know that what product's going to work best for you um, and then there's there is that 10% that just kind of throws you for a, a whim and you go, you know, I was wrong on that one. Or, or, you know, it was like, okay, that's not where I was going, but you know, he's kind of, he's kind of gone towards that or that customer's kind of gone towards that. So yeah, I would say, uh, you know, again, it's our job to know everything that goes on the wall and in the drawers. Um, you know, and the cool thing is I get to, I get to order all that product. So I'm talking with these manufacturers direct, you know, weekly and whenever new products come in they kind of keep us in the loop with protos and you know we do a lot of reviews obviously you know with the youtube channel so we're getting there's some stuff that we've i'm pretty sure we've reviewed that we've never seen the light of day in a video they're just kind of looking for feedback on proto shaft so getting to really know the you know behind the scenes of that stuff kind of gives us all a, a one up so i can give as much info to my fitters and go okay here's what every shaft does and we have you know, a software system that, that also helps with the Ben profiles and EI profiles and stuff like that. But I would honestly say 90% of 
of the time, like all our fitters are pulling stuff out of that drawer. They're like, okay, these are going to be three home run clubs for you. Now it's just up to the, up to the customer to, to hit them. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's so interesting. One one of the points you said there about, you know, yeah, you, ha- you have three three choices out there for the uh, customer to hit, and sometimes it's that just asterisk outlier that the another head works for them. And when I was fitting, I was always told, uh, kind of through the Titleist University that you do before, and it always has to be three things: you have to feel, look, and ball flight, right? And yeah, ball has club has to feel good to the player. Um, the ball flight that's going to be controlled by the fitter, but it's crazy. I, I find it just absolutely baffling what the aesthetics of a golf club can do for the confidence level of a golfer. Because a lot of times for me as a Titleist play, uh, as a Titleist fitter, you'd be fitting somebody and you're like, they're definitely an AP one player, right? Definitely an AP one player. They need something, but then you put an AP two in their hand uh, at that time, and uh, they would just hit it so well because just of the, the look of it. And you're like, well, that's yeah. not me. I, I, I totally thought that they would, uh, they wouldn't hit it very well. Um, but that just goes to show you what, what confidence can do. And um, just one more thing that you commented on there, and I'd love to hear just how much exposure you guys have got. Because we see it, we were talking about it before you came on air, just your social media and what you guys are doing at, at TXG with, with YouTube. I mean, I, from the early days, I was seeing, you know, you guys are getting a couple thousand views on it. Now you're up to over, you know, what are you, 150,000 subscribers now? Yeah, I think it's over 150,000 subs. Um, you know, the views are crazy, uh, you know, daily. I mean, you know, the cool thing with working, you know, with Ian is obviously, you know, we've become, you know, friends and there's be times at night where he'll like screenshot some of the YouTube analytics to me. And it's just, you know, how some videos do great and some videos don't do too hot, but the views are still there. And, um, you know, the international community we have now from YouTube is, I mean, it's insane. You said it earlier on, it's, it's gone from a club fitting and, you know, building, you know, company to that plus a brand, you know, and, uh, you know, we've seen, you know, I've, you know, people send us photos where they wear their hoodies or t-shirts or where their bag tags are, where their, you know, head covers are. And, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, we're, you know, it's, it started as, you know, Ian, you know, Tracy, myself and two other guys in a, in a small building in Burlington, and, you know, thousand square foot, you know, you know, bay with a 200 square foot build shop. And now we're, 2500 square foot build shop um that we just did a, a reno to and you know two locations and 15 staff and um you know now we have a whole media division of a of a club fitting company and we've grown that to you know lime brass now works for us and yeah, um you know that. he's great from the wrx content side so he'll you know he'll do very you know he'll do all our newsletters our blogs um you know he's he's co-host with me on the podcast as well um, and then, you know, we've got, you know, Maddie and Ian that, you know, have kind of, they've been running that, that YouTube, you know, channel for the, you know, probably four years now. Um, yeah, going on to four years and we're definitely branching out now to have content with, with multiple different people. Like you saw Kauks, uh, Rafluski, you know, so that's the teaching side, Larry Chung on that side. And then, you know, there's, there's different parts with, you know, you know, Ronnie is a customer of ours and, and he's a good, you know, friend of the companies and he's on the channel. I'm on the channel, you know, you know, Ian's on the channel, Maddie's on the channel. So it's, it's growing that demographic that's going to be huge for us in the long run. And, and media is, media is crazy. I mean, social media is crazy. Every, it's just, it's so good for, you know, for a brand, but 
we definitely don't take it for granted. We, you know, we appreciate all the support and, you know, the work behind the scenes that goes into it is, uh, it's a lot. I mean, most of the, I would say 95% of the ideas or topics that are, you know, on that channel, you know, come up in Ian's head throughout the week and he goes, right, this is what we're filming for the next, you know, they, we all, normally when they're filming, they're filming like one day a week and they do five to six videos in one day. Um, now they're lucky they're, you know, one take wonders and, um, they don't have to, you know, record a bunch of times and then it's all edited throughout the week and that's how we can get a video every day. So it's, uh, it's a lot of work, but the YouTube, you know, in the beginning I was like, I was never part of it. I just, I was just like, you know, head down and, and doing other stuff, you know, just to keep going. And then the, you know, the YouTube channel just, you know, people want to see, you know, a shitty driver of the ball. So they throw me in there and, and sure enough, you know, people, people love it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. The YouTube is, YouTube's awesome. The brand's cool. Um, the, the following in that community is just, there's so many good people. It's, it's insane. Well, you're getting the trust and backing from, from so many people. Right. And, and it yeah. just goes to show you what you guys are doing. You're, you're doing a great job at it. We're just going to jump into to rapid fire, guys. Your favorite golf course in Canada? Toronto Golf Club. Favorite golf course outside Canada? Let's go. That I played Oakmont. What's your current handicap? Uh, five. Lowest ever round? 74. Your dream foursome? Myself, my dad, Tiger Woods, and we'll throw Mr. Fraser in there. And what's your favorite club in the bag? Uh, wedges. Any, any wedge is, uh, is a friend of mine. Any golf superstitions? Oh, no, I don't think so. Who's your favorite player on tour? Tiger Woods. It's your halfway house order. I'm a wimp. It's uh, it's an apple and a refill of the water. That is the latest <laughs> halfway order. Are you walking or riding when you play? Walking. Trunk slam or range rat? Depends on the day. Normally a range rat. We've got a good practice facility, but I trunk slammed it a couple days ago. Um, have you fit any notable players? Uh, recently or ever? Well, I guess Rebecca Lee Bentham, I've worked with her on her clubs. It's, it's cool to have a, a set of irons that I've built playing a women's US Open this week. If, uh, if Maddie and Ian are playing today, who's winning in a match? Are they playing for money? Yes. Ian. Maddie doesn't like playing for money. It's not that he doesn't like it, it's just the minute there's a penny on the line, Ian just goes from a humble, you know, plus one to a very, very good plus four handicap. So oh, wow. uh, it's un it's unbelievable. So Mike, um, I know you've got a great relationships with all the club manufacturers um, that you guys have at TXG, uh, but can you give us one or two products that kind of have stood out for you so far in 2021? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'll give you a quick example. Obviously no PGA show this year. Um, so we didn't, we weren't able to, really test any of the Mizuno fairy woods early on. Um, and when we did our pre-book, we were just like, you know what, we're like, we don't sell a ton of Mizuno woods. And then all of a sudden we did a review, you know, the boys did a review on the fairy wood and, you know, Ian called me on his way home. He's like, you got to order 30 fairy woods. He goes, you know, we need three woods. We need five with them. Like they're that good. He goes, trust me. Um, that's probably the one that stood out the most that, you know, if anyone's watched the bracket, uh, the driver bracket challenge on, on the channel, you know, Mizuno won the bracket, yep. um, sorry to spoil that one, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's crazy. You know, Mizuno makes great products. I've always made great irons and wedges. 
Um, and now that they're, you know, in the wood game, you know, even with ST190 and then 200 and now ST, you know, Z, I mean, the product is, is wild. So, you know, stand out for Mizuno this year, 100%. And funny that I, I think I saw in that bracket challenge, it was down to, it was Mizuno versus Tour Edge. And that's a Tour name, Edge, and, crazy. And that's an, a name we haven't seen for, it's oh, it's been years. And I, I, I believe we're starting to see a little bit out on the Champions Tour right now. So what, how, how have they kind of resurfaced? And, and can you comment on that, on the driver? Yeah, I mean, the driver, it's, it obviously, it performs. The woods perform. I mean, I remember the Tour Edge stuff, um, they had a hybrid like maybe 10 years, well, maybe less than 10 years ago that had like a, like a wave on the bottom and it was like a limited edition hybrid. I always want, I bought one. It was like 500 bucks. I wanted one. I couldn't get it off the, the ground, but I wanted one. <laughs> um, and that was the last time you kind of heard of Tour Edge. And then the last, I want to say three or four years, they've really made a, a comeback there. They're heavy on the champions tour, which is great. The price point is, is phenomenal. It's ridiculous what you can get, you know, a driver for from them. I'm pretty sure it's under 500 bucks. Um, the new stuff is good. It, it's a little flashy for me on the top. It's got a funky look. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it, but you know, it feels good. It, you know, it, it sounds good. And if it performs, you know, if you can get over the look, I think it's, I think it'll be a winner for a lot of people. We will, con- I, you know, 99% sure we will continue to carry tour edge in the demo matrix for this year when we open in a couple weeks. So, It'll be a great price point option, and you know it's uh, it's unbelievable that bracket. I, I was talking in today, and I just looked at them. I was like, Tour Edge and Mizuno. Who would have thought? Like I was thinking, you know, TSI three Titleist and a you know a Sim or something like that. But you know, these everyone's everyone's making good product now. It's just getting harder and harder to be the best of the best. That's really cool. Just kind of seeing that. I mean, like like to your point, everyone everyone makes a, a good product and. I mean, ultimately, uh, for each individual golfer, you're you're letting the numbers decide. Um, do you guys have anything else? I wanted Mike to uh, let us know his podcast so we can tune in. So, uh, yeah, the podcast is called The Build Shop. Uh, it's powered by Tour Experience Golf, myself and Ryan Barath. Um, talk about everything. Current, you know, normally we're going to start recording these on a Monday and uh, and they'll be out on a Wednesday. Um, so we're going to recap PGA, just a quick one. We're going to touch on women's us open, having Rebecca Lee, she's a brand ambassador for us. Um, so chat about her game and kind of what she's got going on. Um, you know, and, and we'll have, you know, we'll have guests from all sides of the industry. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll fire Aaron Villa Texas and see if he'll, if he'll come on and, you know, get some, get some guys, you know, a friend of mine, Mike Taylor, see if he'll come on and, and just get some of the cool industry guys just to just to talk shop. You know, people love the whole build mm-hmm. side of it. We're yeah. we're expanding on getting my face on the channel to do a little bit more build content. So that'll probably happen in the next few weeks. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it'll be good. It'll be just kind of uh, a podcast. I don't I like I love this podcast because you guys are are all over the place, and that's what I like. I hate when it's like one topic; it gets boring. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what we're gonna try to create and. Just got another outlet of media, and it's you know two different faces than than just Matt and Ian, and we'll probably have branches of podcasts throughout the uh, throughout the company. But we're gonna record episode one tonight, and uh, I'm excited. You know, I enjoyed you know chatting to to you guys or to whoever wants you on a pod because they can you know listeners can learn so much. You know, whether it's about call fitting or 
you know, just shoot the shit. And, but yeah, I mean, it'll be, it'll be cool. It'll be, uh, it'll be fun. You know, our, our B comes from the WRX side and, um, you know, he's had his own pod with, with WRX. So I'm sure, uh, I'm sure we won't disappoint too much, but yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. Well, I'm looking forward to listening to that. So I'll, I'll definitely be, be tuning in to, uh, to listen to you and Brath there. Um, learn a little bit more too right and that's the nice thing is love it you, you get a you know you get to offer that uh, inside experience and and be able to kind of educate people what you do on a day-to-day basis which is which is which is wild i try to take apart a wedge like two years ago i haven't done it in years and um, i'm like just leave it to the leave it to the experience guys i can't do this there's an <laughs> there's an art to it i'm not doing it i know so. i know there's there's points where it's like assembly and then there's other parts where it becomes you know, I, most of the time I always think like I'm just gluing steel shafts into, you know, chunks of metal. Um, you know, and we're, you know, we're around the shop going, Hey, can you throw me another Strix on head? I need another one. We're literally throwing these clubs across the room and you go, man, like this is an expensive product, but we work with it every day. And, and there does come a time that it's just general assembly or it, I've got raw components. I need to bang in a set out to be as perfect as possible. And it does take that little extra time. And, um, I'm not calling myself an expert or I'll never call myself a master builder, but I just want to, you know, I want to be like a Michelin star chef, give you the best, you know, experience, the best meal you possibly can have. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we can do that with golf clubs, we're, we're doing something right. For sure. Kind of mm-hmm. w- w- one last question here for, for me, Mike, is, um, just so those people who might not know what goes into club building and, and how, how far it, it's really come the time difference from let's just say five years ago from a custom club shop build shop here in Ontario uh, to get a club assembled to be able to hit it versus now like an iron head what's the turnaround time that you can put a club together and somebody can be hitting it an iron I mean I did it this morning for uh, for a customer of mine I built him a set of clubs in under an hour and he was playing with them 45 minutes after he picked them up so that's kind of a, a rarity. It doesn't happen all the time. Um, but, you know, with, you know, really good quality, you know, glue. And, and if you have all your components, yeah, you can build a, you can build a set within an hour and a half and, and be playing it with them within, you know, I would say t- total hour, you know, two hours. Wow. Well, it's, it's, it's just so different. But no, yeah. But no, I, I would say, you know, for us, you know, if you come in and get fitted, we're, Right now, to be safe, we're saying four to six weeks turnaround. We are sitting on a on a good chunk inventory, which is going to be good when we do open the doors. But you know, we'll always say four to six weeks right now, just because everything's on a slow boat. It's just uh, it's, you know, it's 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 been crazy on some of the stuff we've been waiting for. But you know, the the one thing I will say, our wait list right now is over thirty one hundred people to get in for a fitting. Um, you know, we had backlog from November till. You know, probably mid February we're fully booked, so we've got to get through all those. You know, give those people first right to refusal. And hey, thirty one hundred people are not going to come see TXG. They'll they'll disperse and go to the club or go to other competitors, which is fine. But you know, you know, a lot of people want it. Will want to come into our studios, so it'll be busy. You know, some people might not get fit till you know guys that send me messages on IG right now that say, hey, you know, what's what's the chance of me getting on the wait list? I'm like. Well, you can get on the wait list 100%, but you might not come in until 2022. And some guys are like, hey, I haven't been fit in six years. I guess I can wait another year. And other guys are like, you know, I need my gear yesterday. And I'm like, I know. I want to win the lottery tonight, but it's uh, it's a very, very, very hard thing to do. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's the new world, right? It's the COVID world, and uh, it's pushed everything back in supply. And I know, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to even go find a golf shirt right now. So people are understanding, I'm sure. And um, I mean, you guys are going to work as as fast as you can and as well as you can to get through all of them. So, but last closing remarks, boys. Uh, no, no, I appreciate just, it, Mike. That thanks. was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on, coming on, Mike. That was uh, cool to learn a little bit uh, about the behind-the-scenes kind of action that you you do on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, I appreciate your time. I appreciate it, boys. And and don't be, uh, you know, when things get back to somewhat normalcy, you know, don't be a stranger if you're ever down in this area. Stop by the studio, and uh, you know, if there's anything we can do to help, just uh, just fire me a note. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks, Mike. And uh, we look forward to, you know, keeping track on social and seeing that cap get down from five. And, and we, 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 <laughs> we, we uh, I know, so Jamie Jamie and I grew up with Kauxi and Jamie's got to do his check-in and send grip pics of his left-hand grip to Kauxi. So uh, I'll be uh, I'll be checking in to, to see your road to 300 with him. Love it, love it. Yeah, I don't want my handicap to go down too much. I'm, I like to be a, be a bit of a sandbagger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, right, you, you, you gotta win. You gotta win the front nine so you can spice up your halfway order. So, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. All right. Th- thanks, Mike. We really appreciate you coming Jen, on. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. No thanks, worries. Mike. Thanks so much. Have a good night, guys. Week eight, Pelt Pod, damned if you do, damned if you don't. A segment where we digest and chew on controversial subjects in the golf world. This week, dress codes. I've had this conversation actually a couple times already this week with even buddies of mine who are just getting into the game of going, you know what, I don't want to tuck my shirt in. I don't want to have to find a nice collared shirt. I don't have a nice belt. I don't want to worry about the right uh, height of my socks. All these kind of thoughts that really add to this gray area around dress codes. Now, Jamie, you just made a great point about this before we started talking about it on air, but it's a difference whether you're at a country club or your municipal golf course, but let's just start with Jamie. Where do you stand on the one ones of dress code when it comes to the game of golf? I think I'm a little bit of a, a golf traditionalist and I, I just like kind of things done the, the traditional way. Um, you kind of hit on a couple of them, whether it's your having your, your shirt tucked in like so many times I've, I've gone to, usually municipal courses and you see the backwards hats and the just just things that i'm not traditionally used to seeing so yeah i'm I'm gonna sit on the fence of the traditional side and yeah let's tuck in our shirts let's put our caps on our heads forwards take them off when you go into the clubhouse that's where i'm at bishop yeah yeah and i'm kind of um you know on this I'm kind of agreeing with you, Jamie, on, on this, de- definitely. And, you know, what we've seen and, and why we're talking about it this week is because we, we've seen the hoodies on the PGA Tour, and, and I'm fine with that. And, and, you know, you have to look at, you know, through times change, with time change, fashion changes, and we've seen like the joggers get out on the golf course. Nike change the collars, and 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 that's okay. But my whole thing is is how far is too far, and if you continually to change, it just gets that much more relaxed and casual. And you know, golf is a sport, and there's a uniform that all sports have. And for for golf, it was you know based on the traditions and everything it was to have a certain attire and it i still think it should have a certain attire and you know what we're seeing now with the kind of 
You know, not a lot of our friends got into golf uh, when we were in high school. You were either a golfer, and there's those people who are either a golfer or someone who golfs. And someone who just golfs, they might want to have that more relaxed approach, and they don't want to see. You know, they might not want a to wear a uniform and they think it's too traditional and just want to wear, like you said earlier off air, Ben, like Lululemon shorts and a t-shirt. Well, that's, you just can't do that. I just don't think there's a spot in the game for that. Maybe at like a, a municipal golf course that a mom and pop course that just doesn't care. Sure. Go out there and do that. But and then for the most part on a golf course that has a policy and a dress code, I think that needs to be followed. And I'm just, I'm on the sitting on the fence where, you know, is it even okay that we're we're like joggers are allowed now on the golf course? Like it just seems like we've gone gone so far, and then like I said, the Nike collar is so much more relaxed now. And and don't get me wrong, I'm fine playing with somebody who has that. But then what's going to come next, right? As fashion changes or or what they allow to accept it, are we just going to be golfing in t-shirts and Lululemons? Like I, I don't think that there, we should be at all. I don't. I think that we should still be wearing a collar on our shirt, having it tucked in. I think it, you know, growing up as a junior golfer, that helped instill some like values that you know it was a proper game and you learn respect and that's one of the the first tees uh huge things is is respect as as a junior golfer and and that respect meant you had to uh you know dress appropriately tuck in your shirt and you know made you double check if you you missed a belt loop or not and uh uh (laughs) uh, yeah so that's where i sit on this and i really like what jacob said there just with the word uh, about respect and i think that's by abiding to the dress code, uh, whether you're at, you know, the just the local muni down the street that, you know, has a very lenient dress code of basically just show up with clothes on, or whether you're at <laughs> Hamilton Golf Club where, you know what, you, you don't really want to make it past the parking lot, um, not abiding by it because <laughs> it's going to be pointed out to you. And it might actually cost you a trip to the pro shop and a couple hundred bucks to get it sorted out. So I think... It's tough because there's some people that simply just want to be comfortable when you go play golf. I totally understand that. But I think we need to filter it through the lens of just what Fish said. It's about respect. Um, and it shows respect that you show up on a property dressed how the property expects you to conduct yourself and, and be. So um, I, I'm, kind of, I'm a traditionalist with yeah. room for leniency. If I'm playing with my buddies, I love to be in Lululemon shorts and my running shoes, but I will always make sure that I'm not disrespecting the other golfers or the club itself, whether that's a, a chip and putt or whether you're at uh, at a more prestigious private club. So that's kind of my stance. Yeah. I, I guess we're all kind of for traditionalists sure. here, but Fish, that was a great point. I think it's about respect, and that's the way that dress code should just be looked at. Yeah, and, and, and the the kind of the the counter argument to some people here would be like, oh, you want to grow the game, and and uh, and like people, you know, if if we're going to grow the game, some people don't like that. Well, that's part of the sport, right? That's the uniform, mm-hmm. and um, just like how how far is too far? Like I, that that's where where I really draw the line is like what's next. Right. What is next? That's going oh, to be what's a, necessary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if if the argument and the counter argument is, oh, we want to grow the game. There's so many new players into it. Well, great. We love it. We, we obviously we want to grow the game and get these new players in the game. But this is just one part about the game that you, you just just get over it. it. It's you have to wear a wear a, a uniform. Right. And that's mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I've got the hockey game in the background. Hockey has a uniform. 
Baseball has a uniform. Soccer has a uniform. So does golf. So that's my stance on yeah, it. And that's just, the, it's just the, the respect uh, thing. And yeah. One other point I have is I think it's as much on the golf course and the property and the staff there to police this kind of thing too. Um, because if people just get continually get away with it, nothing happens. So I, I think that's, that's a key point to, to consider as well. For sure. I'll end on this question for damned if you do, damned if you don't dress codes. If you're at a golf club that requires you to tuck in your golf shirt and a golfer does not, uh, the golfer chooses not to tuck in his shirt, plays with it untucked, well knowing that that, in fact, is against the rules. Is that lazy? Is that disrespectful? What is that? Disrespectful. It's disrespectful. Like when you... You have a responsibility when you go play a golf course to know the rules and to abide by them. Um, if you intentionally don't do those things, to me, that's just blatant disrespect. For sure, because usually, usually the dress code is on the back of the scorecard. We saw mm-hmm. that all the time. Or, or if you, I'm pretty positive you'd see it on the back of the scorecard. Would you not? The odd time, or am I just? Yeah, like, probably. And and then like on the, the web, website. Too. And it's up to your host member, perhaps if you're at a club that you don't know. It's up to the member that's hosting you as well. If you want to talk about private clubs, I think it's up to the member to make sure his guests are are, uh, in accordance to the dress code. For sure. Yeah, and and sometimes people's shirt just might come on top, like, unintentionally. Like, that's totally fine. Like, mistakes happen. But if you do it, like, intentionally, then that's just disrespectful to me. For sure. But it, you kind of joke, joke about it because some golf courses, some, uh, you know, public golf courses, mom and pop shops. Uh, and, you know, I, I enjoy when I go out and play a mom and pop shop, the odd time, having my shirt untucked. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. The odd time, I can see why some players like it. Um, I'm kind of going against my argument a little bit here. But you have a, a tuck zone and untuck zone. You know when the rules have to be enforced. And, you know, at, at the London Hunt Club and Hamilton Golf Club, I'm not going to take out my uh, take my shirt and, and tuck it there. I know I'm going to get absolutely hounded. And I also don't want to. But the odd time on a, on a you know late Saturday afternoon, you're playing a, a little muni golf course and you got the music going. Yeah, your shirt might just come untucked. But you know that's not against the rules at that golf course, right? So I think at exactly. the end, at the end of the day, so you're not breaking the rules. Exactly, because the rules are based on respect, right? And I'm going to follow those rules at the private club. And yeah. I think this whole thing boils down to if you're a golfer, you understand that respect, you, you understand what you have to of do. Of where you are. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well said. Couldn't agree more. Week eight insider picks for the pelt pod. Take the phone off the hook. This is a big day. Jamie Wilson has broke through. He's got his first weekly win. Daniel Berger comes in clutch. Uh, first of all, he comes in on the high side at P20 minus four. And then Patton Kazire getting Jamie Wilson paid. He comes in with a T3 finish at minus 10. Myself, I take second place. Colin Morkawa minus five, T14. And Joel Damon went home for the weekend. He missed the cut. Jacob Bishop back of the bus this week. Patrick Reed costs him. Patrick Reed goes and misses the cut. And Doc Redman, plus two, T59. Jamie Wilson breaking through for this week. How's it feel to be at the top? 
after taking quite a bit of heat. It feels fantastic. I mean, there were there were some people questioning uh, whether I should even be on the insider picks. So uh, I guess uh, this one's for them. So uh, you know what? Sleep uh, now. You know what? If- exactly. Yeah, I got the monkey off my back, so I'm ready to rock and roll. If we're letting history speak here of the previous six weeks, Ben started off with three straight wins. I took three straight wins, and now Jamie's one win down, two more to go for three straight wins. So um, you're catching up, Jamie. I'm happy for you. You We're all concerned about you. Um, But like I said before, you're the Schwab. We called you the Schwab. And where did you come in? The Charles Schwab Challenge. So the Schwab, <laughs> absolutely, he's going to win the Charles Schwab Challenge. Congrats, buddy. We're happy for you because uh, we were concerned about you. So let's hop into the Memorial Tournament here. Um, iconic stop on the uh, PGA Tour. Um, I am going to go with my main pick. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, guys, but Victor Hovland. <laughs> And my uh, sleeper pick this week, uh, I'm going to go with some Canadian content. He's been playing pretty well. Adam Hadwin. Nice. Nice going with a Canadian this week as a sleeper. I like it. Benjamin? I got Justin Thomas as my main man and a sleeper. Out of nowhere, Sebastian Munoz. Munoz. Is he a sleeper? I'll give it to him. He is now. Jacob, who you got at Jack's place for the memorial? Um... I'm going to go with uh, a guy who I've got in my golf pool. He has been struggling a little bit as of late, hasn't played his best golf, but I'm expecting big things for him, and I think he does it this week. Go with Patrick Cantley, and a guy who's played really great. Uh, sleeper pick this, this week is Keegan Bradley. Thanks, guys. Awesome episode this week, and definitely learned a lot from Mike. I'll be questioning my bag set up for, uh, for the rest of the week here, but uh, looking forward to hitting the links this weekend, and, and best of luck, uh, Ben. On, uh, on Saturday, hope you uh, hope you get the W. I hope uh, we have your hometown knowledge right with us in the group. But uh, thank you to the boys. Thank you to Mike. That was fun. I learned a lot from uh, from that conversation. So that was great, Jamie. Yeah, just want to say thanks to everyone out there listening, and uh, we'll chat soon, boys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Pelt Pod. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Pelt Pod, we'd love to hear from you. We'll see you next week for episode nine.